You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Welcome into Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing, Union Home Mortgage. Appreciate all of you dialing us in. Got a great show lined up for you. But we're coming off the Labor Day weekend. Of course, we did not labor yesterday, but that doesn't stop the Alabama Crimson Tide and Nick Saban. And as we normally do, first day after the weekend, we play Nick Saban's post his post pre-week. Now, going into Texas, we play his news conference in its entirety. And the interest and in the interest of uh, consistency, we're going to do that again. Here's Nick from yesterday at this exact time. Good. How's everybody today? Good. Just in review of the last game, um, you know, players played hard in the game, uh, competed well in the game. I thought we played, you know, more physical, um, executed fairly well for the most part. But as in all first games, there's a lot of opportunity to correct things that we didn't get quite right. Um, and uh, I think that uh, it shows a lot in terms of how a team is approaching the season and how much you improve from the first game to the second game. And so the players having the right mindset uh, relative to the challenges that we have internally on our team to get better uh, is important to being able to get those things fixed. You know, I think that uh, games like this are something that players certainly look forward to. You know, it's great that Jalen got recognized as uh, SEC Offensive Player of the Week and Caleb, the Freshman of the Week. And, um, but, you know, both of those players who played well and obviously got recognized for it, you know, also have to continue to, you know, look at the things that they did well and build on those things. And hopefully that confidence, you know, helps them in the future. Uh, but also stay focused on doing the things that they need to do to improve in terms of their consistency and performance and execution. And I don't think there's anybody on our team uh, who doesn't have something that they could actually improve on um, relative to their performance last week. So, um, you know, Texas, you know, I think everybody knows Sark is a really good coach. Um, they've got a really good team. They've got a veteran team returning with, you know, 10 starters on offense, six on defense, um, really good skilled players on offense, really good quarterback, uh, can throw the ball effectively. They make a lot of explosive plays. Um, you know, Worthy's an outstanding receiver. They've got good running backs. They've got a really good tight end. Uh, they're very good on defense. They play really good up front. Uh, they're physical. They played extremely well in the first game. And um, they were excellent on special teams. So uh, this is a really good team all the way around. And it's going to be an opportunity for our team to sort of, you know, where are we as a team? Where are you as a player? You're going to play against a really good player. Um, and, you know, that usually says, you know, where, where am I as a player? Uh, and this is going to be a good barometer for us to find out you know, where, where are we as a team? And, um, so we're going to focus on doing a great job of trying to get our guys to prepare to, you know, play a great game and do a good job in terms of execution. Uh, I know it'll be an exciting game from a, you know, fans perspective. And, uh, we love that atmosphere and environment that they create. But I think one of the things that's really important for players is can you stay focused on, 
you know, what you need to do and not get affected by, you know, a lot of the external factors. Start with Chase. Uh, can you update us on Malachi Moore and, and Jalen Key, who you mentioned Saturday? Uh, they're both day-to-day, um, so it's probably too early to tell uh, what their circumstance will be. Probably be a couple days and we figure it out. But um, I don't think either guy has long-term issues, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how they progress this week. Charlie? Another quick one, uh, Emmanuel Henderson. Do you have an update on him? Uh, he has a hip injury. Uh, it's going to probably be a few more weeks before he gets back into the swing of things, but hard to know exactly when. You know, they'll do some rechecks on him here in the next week or two. And uh, he was having a great fall camp, doing a great job on special teams, and made a lot of progress as a receiver. So we'd love to get him back. Uh, what do you think of how Caleb Downs played in his first game? Um, I think Caleb played, you know, really well. He plays fast. He's physical. Um, I think that was a really challenging game, especially for a young player to have to play with all the, the formations and adjustments that we had to make. And I think he handled it really, really well. Coach, I know every year is different, but that game last year in Austin, do you look back at all when you're prepping for this team and see, I know three went out in that game in yours, but do you look back at all with that game last year? Well, I think, you know, you're always looking at what a team does technically, and it's always most interesting to see, you know, what was their philosophy of what they did technically to whether it was play defense against you or attack you offensively or what they did on special teams. So I think you use that information as a history of maybe what you might see again and other things that they did periodically, you know, that changed. So I, I don't think you look back on the game from a psychological standpoint as much as you do a technical standpoint. Okay, let's, uh, Steven. As he continues to push, Coach, how much growth has Kendrick Blackshaw made as a linebacker? Yeah, he he got in the game and played, you know, fairly well. And I think that the big thing we work on with, you know, Kendrick is consistency and performance. You know, when he's locked in and focused, he's plays really, really well. But um, you got to be able to do it all the time so that you develop, you know, the kind of confidence, trust in yourself and your teammates that um, you need to be a consistent player overall. But played well on the game when he got a chance to play. When you and Greg Byrne discussed years ago about moving from neutral site openers to having more home-and-home games, um, for you, what was behind that or what kind of interested you in uh, doing that? Well, I I think that one of the reasons that we did, um, you know, games away from home, whatever, what did you refer to them as? Neutral site games, okay. Neutral site games, good good way to term them. Was, from a scheduling standpoint, it was a way to get a quality opponent on the schedule early on, which I thought had uh, a lot of benefit in terms of your team developing in the offseason, looking forward to that game. Probably the Clemson game that we had, was that the second year we were here, probably did as much to sort of ignite the program in a way 
Um, but then after you do that for a while and you start having success and fans are going to playoff games and bowl games and different things, um, they don't have the same significance. And then to have more quality home games for the fans to see uh, becomes a little bit more, I think, important. And I think that's kind of, in a nutshell, sort of why we transition back to this. Not to say that if we had an opportunity to play in a, uh, a game somewhere in the future, we would. But I think that changes also with, you know, conference realignment and what could happen in the future with, you know, how many conference games you might be playing. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. Stay right here with Kane. Two-part question. What did you see from players like Christmas Story, Earl Little, um, Trey Amos when they were able to, to step in on Saturday? Um, and then as far as the communication in the secondary, what did you see on tape and how important will that be against Texas on Saturday? Yeah, I think it's really important all the time. And it's one thing that we're constantly harping on is to get good communication. And, you know, specifically about the players that you ask about, some of them played really well. Uh, some of them have things that they could improve on. Uh, and, you know, sort of didn't play with the poise that you need to play with, maybe a little anxiety, first game, whatever. But we need all those guys to continue to develop and play well uh, because, you know, right now Smitty's already down and you got two other guys that are, you know, um, not able to practice at least today, maybe someday in the near future. So um, it's important that we develop young players and that these guys have a chance to uh, develop confidence, which I think the, just the fact that they got to play in the game should help them to some degree see what they need to improve on as well as build on the things that they did well. Hey, Coach, can you kind of share the feeling you get whenever you walk in that tunnel, you have your whole team behind you, and you step out on the field before a game? And by the way, your hair looks great this season. Uh. You know, to me, it's always exciting, uh, the challenge of playing a game. Uh, it's especially um, sometimes challenging when you play on the road and everybody's against you. And it's also a great feeling when you play at home and a lot of folks are for you and the enthusiasm's great. The players are excited about playing. Uh, and it's what you work for all week long. And, you know, I'm usually a little ner <coughs> excuse me, nervous. You know, sort of leading up to that, but sort of when we go out on the field, um, kind of all goes away and you start focusing on, okay, what's next? Here's the coin toss. All right, we're going to kick off. We're going to receive. And then it's one play at a time and all that kind of goes away. So, um, but it's exciting. I mean, there's no question about it. And, um, certainly the, great atmosphere that we have in Brian Denny Stadium contributes to that excitement when you're playing at home. Katie? How encouraged were you by turnovers on Saturday that the defense was able to force to and that the offense and special teams held on to the ball? Well, you know, we got two turnovers. We had a third ball on the ground that we probably should have gotten. Um, we didn't turn the ball over, which is a real plus offensively uh, or on special teams. So you always want to have a positive turnover ratio, so we're plus two, so that's that's a positive thing. I thought there were times when we could have had a little better ball security, which we will point out to the players. Uh, and 
there were some other opportunities maybe where we should have could have got some balls out so when you're emphasizing turnovers and not turning the ball over those are always things that you're trying to focus on two more to finish mike and then Nick. So what did you see from tyler buckner and, and ty simpson when they got into the game on saturday yeah i think both guys handled the situation well um they executed fairly well i think it's a good opportunity for both of them to uh, be able to you know, learn from some of the things that they did, get some really good game experience, both guys. And I thought it was, they both did a good job. What did Deontay Lawson show you on Saturday in terms of leading the defense and communicating everything? Yeah, well, you know, he's a bright guy. He's a signal caller. Um, didn't disappoint us at all, you know, in the game on Saturday. And we were getting a lot of multiples and a lot of different things. But, um he did a good job. He had a good game. Uh, he played well. He was productive. So, you know, I think it's important that we keep, you know, getting that kind of performance because, you know, linebacker is such an important position in setting the front, stopping the run, but also, you know, getting out on run pass and being able to match the patterns the way you need to. And he's certainly a bright guy and has done that extremely well. We good? All right. Thank you. All right, that was uh, that was Nick Saban uh, speaking yes yesterday to the media. Uh, Matt, quick reaction and quick reaction from you. I think it's uh, pretty much standard stuff after you blow out your opponent, and you know he scouted Texas and uh, paid compliments to Sark as he should. It's a good football team, and moving forward, we're going to talk a lot more about that. Um, somebody's going to have to call in, or Justin may know, but I, I'm a, I'm a little confused about this whole hair deal. Am I missing something there, Lark? I'm confused, too. I thought that the question was actually really good, uh, just asking Nick what he feels at this point in his life when he's walking through the tunnel and for him to, uh, you know before kickoff and and for him to say that he's actually a little nervous is something i've never heard him say before it, it's great i love questions that just humanize the individual right and uh and i love it when uh nick saban makes us feel more relatable to him and it was a good question, but I don't. I still don't understand the end of the question comment. I'm not, <laughs> Apparently, his hair looked good yesterday. Yeah. All right, that's important. Um, there may be something more to that, and perhaps I'm missing. I'm just going to allow for that chance and move on to our first break. Mike Rodak will join us at the bottom of the hour. Stan White's uh, coming along in the second hour. What in the world happened to Clemson? All oh, coming up on Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny this afternoon, the high today 91. Fair tonight with the low at 71. Tomorrow and Thursday, partially sunny both days. The chance of widely scattered, mostly afternoon and evening showers and thunderstorms. Highs between 88 and 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 88 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More Big Noon Sports coming up. This is Big News Sports. Matt, Lars, Justin, the gang is all here. Hope everyone... Lars, do you have a good Labor Day? I know I did because I did not labor from sunrise to sunset in all points on the perimeter. 
I actually wrote for about 12 hours a massive stream of consciousness for a book proposal, and hopefully I'll be able to have some news on that later this week. But, um, yeah, I mean, what I had a wonderful weekend. Uh, it, my uh, six-year-old twin girls had to uh, explain to me and show me how to watch the Alabama game here in Birmingham because I have Spectrum. I couldn't figure it out. Literally, Matt, Autumn and Farah figured it out for me they're more techno techno savvy than i am but uh what a performance by jalen milrow what a performance i mean we should have seen this coming but uh i mean that is uh story one two three four five for me uh for the game and we're gonna dig deep into uh everything about what we saw and what to expect moving forward especially on Saturday against Texas in one of the most anticipated games in recent memory in Tuscaloosa. One of the uh, critics of said quarterback, who, by the way, was the SEC Offensive Player of the Week, responsible for five touchdowns, has been one of our callers at 205-342-9904. And Joseph joins us on Big Noon Sports. Joseph, how you doing? Hello, Joseph. Well, I know we did keep him on hold because of the Saban News Conference, but uh, we've lost him. Perhaps he's, he wants to call back. But Matt, I what, he looked, yeah, yeah, your takeaway on Milrow. Well, the the one thing, and let me start with the Milrow thing with with uh, Tommy Reese and how they got him indoctrinated in the game, run, then throw short passes, and then eventually let's go vertical. And I think that's the thing that impressed me the most um, because his two touchdown passes were perfect. I mean, perfect. The one to Nye Black is just unbelievable. Wow, what a good initial performance he had, too. So I think we could expect him to run the football, although his first touchdown run was incredible because he, he turned uh, lemons into lemonade. But um, he just got more confident throughout the game. As it progressed, he really wanted to throw the deep ball, and he did, and he was on target, and that was an incredible thing to say. I say that with some caution. Those are Blue Raiders, not the Longhorns. Uh, I don't know that Texas is, uh, you know, they're not Alabama on defense, but they're pretty good. They're going to be better than MTSU, but uh, overall, it's an A-plus start for Milrow in my book. My immediate thought was a more athletic, dynamic version of Jalen Hurts as a freshman. And uh, I I just thought he – there's so much potential here. Uh, Finished the game 13 for 18, passing 194 yards uh, through the air, 64 yards rushing, five five total touchdowns. But, Matt, most important, zero – zero turnovers and according to pro football focus which is a group that i really trust um milro didn't even have a turnover worthy play which is which they defined as a a pass that has a high percentage chance to be intercepted or a poor job of taking care of the ball and fumbling so uh he took a total of 45 snaps and really just one or two 
sort of bad plays in those 45 snaps. And, um, you know, you and I talked on uh, Friday extensively about this when we were at Innisfree that um, we both thought Milrow obviously was going to start. And we thought, you know, he's, that he was the guy and, uh, and that, and that coach Saban was going to play him the entire first half and get him back out there for the second, uh, for, for the third quarter. So he goes through the experience of, uh, of sort of cooling down at halftime and then warming back up and playing and, and taking snaps in, in the third quarter. And, um, I, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, that the quarterback competition is over in my mind. Um, do you agree with that? Is that your assessment oh, yeah. as well? Yeah, and, and let me uh, reach out here and hand you a cold beer, okay? Because you called it. You said he played the entire first half and at least the first series in the third quarter, and he did just that. I thought the you know, the two Tylers looked pretty good, to be honest with you. They both ran for a touchdown. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. So... Yes, there's no question in my mind that he will go into the Texas game. And this week, he will get, what, 80% of the snaps? Uh, yeah. And he will be very, very prepared for Sark and the Longhorns as they come into Bryant-Denny Stadium, which is just huge. The whole, nas- the whole nation's buzzing about it right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a, a thrilling game. And... Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think Alabama and Colorado and Deion Sanders are sort of the, the two main stories in the country coming out of week one and, uh, in, in Jalen Milrow and his performance. I mean, I can't remember, honestly, just ever seeing a quarterback with his running ability. I mean, he's a, he's the best athlete on the field, Matt. You know, when he turned it up the far boundary on that busted play, I didn't think he was going to make the end zone. <laughs> well, was Matt ever wrong? Um, and he made several other athletic plays. But I think we all knew his capability there. But what has uh, what really lit me up is that um, his accuracy on deep, on vertical passes. Uh, and he's really going to need that against Texas and throughout the year. Um I was really, really impressed with him. Caleb Downs was incredible. Um, led the team in tackles, uh, both solo and total. And this guy was literally playing high school football a year ago. What a smart player. And speaking of athletic, he's not bad in that area either. Yeah, um, he is the future of that secondary, and he is special, the, special, special. Wow, sorry, the, the, I thought Arno and the, um, you know the rest of the secondary played great. Um, McKinstry and Malachi Moore. Uh, how about the UAB transfer for Key? Uh, I know a couple of those guys are banged up a little bit, but word is I think they'll be practicing later this week, if not today. All right. Uh, you're listening to Big News Sports. When we get back, we'll be talking to Mike Rodak from AL.com and everything Alabama from his perspective right here on Big News Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, 
Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Man mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home 2 Suites. Come down to r and and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and 5 private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m. The Martin Houston Show. Join us on tomorrow as we continue our conversation about Texas and Alabama. It's a TNT tied in Texas. We'll be looking at Would You Rather. We'll also have a wild card version of the show. Hey, you want to talk about Texas and what they need to do to win? We'll talk about Bama and their keys to victory as well. Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Back on Big Noon Sports. Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson and Justin Jones is driving the Driving the ship today and also being joined as uh, he is weekly, AL.com's Mike Rodak. Mike, I hope you had a good Labor Day, although I'm sure you were in Tuscaloosa and you were uh, taking your notes and doing your interviews. But everybody's talking about uh, about what uh, Jalen was able to do this past weekend. And it was it was just a notch below spectacular in my book. Instead of asking you to review the positive, did you anything see anything negative? There was a, there was not a whole lot. Um, I mean, the, there was one throw early in the game. I think it was Kobe Prentice running across the middle of the field, and Milrow had plenty of time, and you know, kind of uncorked a, a pass that was pretty low. I think Prentice tried to catch it, but he didn't. And that's one of those where you're like, all right, you know, you go against a better opponent, you got to clean up some of those where there's time in the pocket, open receiver, you got to be able to hit him. Um, you know, the snap, the bad snap wasn't his fault. Obviously, made a great play out of that. Um, there was that one play where he rolled to his right and there was a defender jumping up in front of him and he kind of threw it into his arms and, you know, to some degree, probably lucky it wasn't picked off. But uh, those are really the only thing, things that come to mind. I mean, there was, I think, some talk on the broadcast, the two sacks that he gave up. I know there seemed to be some issues with the running back pass protection, but I think Jordan Rogers, as a former QB on the broadcast, was also saying that Belro needed to change some things at the line. Um, so maybe that's, that's part of it. Uh, but uh, better than yeah, I think a lot of people were expecting, and that's that's obviously a good thing for him. What specifically did you see uh, improvement-wise from last year to game one from uh, Milrow? You know, I think the downfield passing is probably the place to start, and statistically his downfield passing in his limited sample size last year was not great, uh, pretty low completion percentage. And, you know, he had the three long touchdowns in this game, 29, 47, 48 yards. Um, you know, and you can discount some of that. And, and, you know, Nick Saban did to some degree as well by saying that's middle Tennessee defense. They, they play very aggressively. They're big little. Um, they, they create negative plays. They also give up a lot of big plays. We saw that. 
And, you know, he also made the point after the game that it's one thing to get separation against their defensive backs. And we're not talking about very highly recruited guys, but it's, it's going to be more of a struggle to get separation um, against better teams. So, um, you know, and there was some technical mistakes, too. I think that secondary made, um, you know, the one where Saban was breaking down to play with Chris Stewart after the game. and was an eye black touchdown where the safety was taking some, some wrong steps. And I think Saban called it a, a kiss of death for the safety. So. Um, yeah, there are some things where they took advantage of, of Middle Tennessee, but you know, I think some some good throws in Jalen Milrow's part to complete those plays when those plays were available to him. Mike, one of the things I noticed is uh, there was improved play on both sides of the line at the point of attack. Would you agree? For the most part, you know, I think off, offensively, the offensive line came out really aggressively. I remember even first play, Caden Proctor, and I think it was Booker next to him, were blocking the guy 10 yards down the field, pushed him into the ground, and Proctor uh, gets up after the whistle and is flexing and jumping up and down and celebrating. That's what they wanted. Like that's they, they wanted to come out, out of the gate and kind of do what they had talked about all offseason. And by Booker's own admission, when he was on you know, the radio this week by Saban's own admission on his show, they kind of lost that a little bit in the second quarter, some of that edge. And they got it back after halftime, and I kind of put the game away. Um, but, you know, for Jason McClellan, I think it was 39 yards on 10 carries. Um, that's not what you would expect against uh, an inferior opponent, if you will. Uh, you know, Justice Haynes, I think, had more success later in the game when, you know, he was running against them. So, um, yeah, there's definitely room for improvement on the offensive line and in the running game. Um, and defensively, you know, there's a lot of pressure that they created. I think that's, that's something we're all looking for is how do they replace what Will Anderson gave them. And it was a group effort between Turner and Braswell and Quandarius Robinson, who's someone who I don't think people have talked about a whole lot. But right now he's their, their, their number three pass rusher and an important player for this defense. We spent eight months talking about the quarterback competition. Um, in your mind, has it been resolved? Is, is, is this Jalen Milrow's team? No, I, I think it'll be premature. I know there's a lot of excitement over the game on Saturday. I don't think that um, I don't think that settled it in, in Nick Saban's mind. I think it's certainly they're happy with everything they've seen out of him, but it's just one game and everything could change if things do not go well against Texas. So I don't think there's any guarantees for Jalen Milrow. It's obviously been something that they've been stressed. And, um, you know, Tyler Buckner seems to have come on strong within the past week or two uh, to where it seems like he's now the number two quarterback. He was the second guy into that game, and he led a touchdown drive, and he you know, scored a touchdown himself with his legs. And even Ty Simpson had a pretty clean drive where he had a touchdown himself. So the other guys are not going away. Uh, that's you know always what Saban wanted. He wanted the competition to continue, and the other guys not just to give up. And I don't think they have. And um, you know I, I think it's a situation too where no matter what happens happens against Texas, Miller could have another good game. I think we're going to see more than one quarterback the following week, next week against uh, South Florida. Were you surprised that it was Buckner and not Simpson to come in at the number two quarterback slot? Um, I was surprised when you know the news kind of came out. Friday night into Saturday morning, there were some reports, you know, about that. And, um, you know, Tony Sakalas from um, Tide Illustrated and Chris Lowe from ESPN, I'll give him credit for that. They, they nailed that one um, as far as Buckner having a better week of practice than, than Ty Simpson. And that's kind of the opposite of where things were through most of August. And, um, you know, Buckner obviously was in a tougher position coming in late as a summer transfer and having to learn the offense and learn the players around him. And I think that, you know, probably contributed to him having a slower start in fall camp. Uh, whereas Ty Simpson's been here almost two years now, 
And, you know, you would expect probably more out of him at this point. It just didn't seem like he had a good week of practice last week. And, um, you know, I think did better in the game. And Nick Saban, when I asked him yesterday, said both quarterbacks did a good job. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting situation for Ty Simpson. You know, the former five star recruit who, as things stand today, is, is their third quarterback. Uh, I don't think that's chiseled into stone, but if that remains the case through the end of the year, it's, it's pretty hard to see him still being here, um, you know, past December, let's say. Yeah, that was actually, that was my first thought too, uh, when Buckner trotted onto the field and, and not Simpson. Um, quarterback position aside, what was your biggest surprise? Uh, it was whether a position group or a player. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think there's, there's a few minor things here and there. I think overall, I was still expecting them to use more wide, that this, I guess, plays in the Corey Brooks situation. I was expecting more of the three and four wide receiver stats. Cause I think Tommy Reese, as much as, you know, he was known for the tight ends at Notre Dame, still had a lot of receivers at his disposal coming into Alabama. And I was talked about that, who, you know, he's trying to use all these guys and, um, you know, they, they certainly had some three wide receiver sets. I didn't see too many of the four wide receiver sets. And yeah, just Corey Brooks was surprising not to see him in the first half. And, um, you know, certainly seems to be discipline related there. Um, but really leaning into the tight ends. And I guess that probably doesn't surprise a whole lot of people, but you know, a lot of two tight end sets using four different tight ends really with the first team offense. And, um, they really like what they have at that position. It's, it's a versatile, deep group of guys. And, um, yeah, again, I don't think it surprises too many people based on his history at Notre Dame, but it does surprise me just because I thought Reese was going to lean more into the receivers. Now he's at Alabama and has the talent there. Do you know any more about the Brooks thing that you can tell us? I, I don't. It was a little bit interesting. Um, you know, I was the one who asked a question after the game, and I, I didn't watch the TV broadcast. I don't know exactly what they said about it. Um, but that's, you know, Saban for a second seemed like he was going to answer the question um and then sort of thought about it and then he you know was respectful uh, i will note that in saying you know i love and appreciate you guys and the, the job you have to do but uh, i'm not going to say why and even after all that jacory brooks was still on the schedule as one of the two players to talk to us yesterday um which is you know surprising given alabama is typically in those situations you know will not have those players out in front of the camera and that's that actually one of the ended up happening uh, we waited 45 minutes, and instead of Ja'Cory Brooks, uh, Jalen Milrow came out. So I'm uh, not too sure exactly, you know, where things stand there. I don't think it's a major thing. I think if it was, like, you know, Jaleel Billingsley or Jai Hall, like, I think Nick Saban will come out and, and say it. Like, I, I think he was pretty vocal about those guys, but he seems more restrained in this case in terms of what he wants to say. So I just don't get the sense that it's quite as serious. You know, All right, here's what I heard on the inside, okay? I, I heard that he doesn't like motel beds, and this is crazy. But I'm, And he decided he was going to go home and sleep in his own bed. I don't know if either one of you would confirm or deny that, but uh, it's a rather interesting take. He certainly needed to be penalized for it. But um, then again, I'm not real fond of hotel beds anymore either. But uh, I'll, I'm just floating that out there and don't expect any comment. But I will follow up with wide receiver talk or a question for you, Mike Rodak. Uh, did anybody step up? Uh, I guess you'd say Bond did. Obviously, he ended up being the leading receiver. Yeah, I mean, Bond, I think, 
going into it, you're probably looking at a top three guy at least and, you know, the best of their sophomore receivers. So it's not terribly surprising to see him where he was. To me, it was Kobe Prentice uh, being the fourth guy on the field was somewhat surprising given he, I mean, he, he was a starter to begin last season. He kind of dropped off by the end of the year and, um, you know, was really third team in the beginning of fall camp when we had the open practice. So, you know, it seems like he's gotten better the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, maybe part of that is Emmanuel Henderson being out with his hip injury. You know, maybe Henderson would have gotten more looks. But right now it seems like the top three receivers are Burton, Bond, and Benson. And then where Ja'Cory Brooks fits into that is still not totally clear. Maybe he's your number four. And then after that, you're talking about Prentice or Law or Henderson if he's healthy. Nick Saban obviously doesn't want to tip his hand at all to Texas. How vanilla do you think he kept the offense and the defense? Yeah, I think it's it's always a consideration. Um, you know, you're not throwing out trick plays or um, anything too exotic. At the same time, I mean, you're still trying to win that game. I think you still respect what Middle Tennessee is able to do. Um, it, you know, especially defensively with some of their pressures and stunts, like you still, um, you, you know, you have to combat that as an offense. You can't just let Jalen Morrow get run over because you're trying to run something vanilla. So it's somewhere in between. Um, and at the same time, there's not, even if you have 50 plays on film for Alabama, you know, there's still a lot that's not out there uh, of Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow and, and how they want to do things. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of room there, I think, for them to, to hide stuff. The Longhorns are coming to Bryant-Denny Stadium for a 6 o'clock kickoff. We'll talk more about that game. And also Clemson uh, and what happened with Duke. My word. And the talk of the town, the toast of the town is Dion primetime. You're listening to Big Ben Sports. Coming up, Coming up on the game with Ryan Fowler. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll recap Alabama, Middle Tennessee State. We'll recap the weekend of college football. We'll set the stage for Alabama, Texas. Coming up, 2 o'clock Tuesday, right here on the game. Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. The longest-running sports program in Tuscaloosa. The game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny this afternoon, the high today 91. Fair tonight with the low at 71. Tomorrow and Thursday, partially sunny both days. The chance of widely scattered, mostly afternoon and evening. Showers and thunderstorms, highs between 88 and 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 89 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Hope everybody had a fantastic Labor Day. And thank you for dialing us in. And you can also dial us up at 205-342-9904. Lots to talk about in the world of college football, certainly with Alabama's opener and convincing win over Middle Tennessee State University. But there were some other things that happened over the weekend that are certainly worth discussing, Lars. And we'll go into much greater detail on the other side of the hour about Auburn. 
I thought they looked really, really good, and the Hugh Freeze era is definitely underway, in my opinion. But but a couple of others that, that really, really stuck out. Um, everybody starts with Dion, and rightfully so. They are a 20-point dog going into Fort Worth and won it. And in my opinion, they got two Heisman Trophy candidates right now. Uh, and, and Dion called them out and said, uh, you know, we take our receipts. Your thoughts on what prime time did? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it was impressive. It was very impressive. Very uh, strong performance by uh, Dion's son, the quarterback. And... Um, you know they made plays when they had to make plays. I, I I found his comments after the game uh, extremely off-putting and uh, unnecessary, and very much look at me, look at me, look at me. But um, you know we'll we'll see what happens when uh, when when my boys from Nebraska roll into Boulder on Saturday. Um, I did. You know, Nebraska did lose the game, obviously. We talked about that on Friday <laughs> uh, against Minnesota. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, I, I have very strong feelings about all of that, and we'll get into that throughout the week. Um, I, I just, it, this has one hit wonder uh, feeling to me about Colorado. Uh, but, We'll, we'll, we'll see. Let me, let me we'll interrupt see. you right there. Uh, are you like me right now? And I just want the Cornhuskers to stuff them. You know? Is that? Uh, I mean, okay. I, I see. I, I, I have think to, a lot of the nations think. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I have to understand I, what he did, but be quiet. Uh, I have to recuse myself almost from this whole conversation. I was going to, I wanted to ask you. Where does the country sit on this game against Nebraska going into Colorado? Oh, I think the country thinks that uh, based on what's happened in Nebraska over the last few years and then the big win at TCU, played the national championship last year, I think they fully expect the Buffs to just kick the Huskers' butt, and I don't think that's going to happen at all. Not trying to take anything away from what Colorado did. However... That was seemed to me to be a broken TCU team. Yeah. And I think that had something to do with it. But again, every time you say something in their favor, the people, the, the Dion lovers are going to accuse you, you know, uh, of um, not giving him any respect. Well, you know, earn it. And if you're that good, you don't have to say it. You don't have to challenge everybody. But I'll be honest with you, this is long since Colorado. Um, I didn't like the way he acted when he was at Florida State, showing up in limos, smoking cigars. Uh, because he had a baseball contract. Um, I know he helped the Atlanta Braves in a great way, but um, I would have rather seen somebody else in that uniform, although he did help us win it. So, anyway, uh, there you got that. How about, I, did, I just uh, didn't under, I didn't understand that he's he basically said the entire nation doubted him. I, I, I don't recall us ever saying that at all. I mean, uh, and I don't, I, that, that is, that has not been the national narrative about Colorado. The, uh, it has been, hey, this is a, a grand experiment going on at Colorado and at Auburn. 
and let's see how it plays out. It's fascinating. I mean, we're all interested because you're just taking, you know, players from all across the country. But then, you know, he brings in race. Like, why are you doing that? Why? 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 I, I don't understand. He's 75% black. Okay. How many college football teams in the country are 75% African-American? That's the same thing I thought. <laughs> I mean, it, it is just nonsense. It is nonsense. amazing that he was able to pull all those guys together. I mean, with all the transfers and all well, the people that left and all I that mean, kind of stuff. Yeah. He's, He's got talent. They got talent. Yeah. They got talent, got talent on that team. But they also have they also have issues. I mean, don't forget that they surrendered, uh, what, 41 points to not, uh, not a very good team. Uh, the, yeah, TCU played in the uh, national final, right, or last year. <laughs> I, mean, but they, I mean, they got stomped. I mean, it's a broken, you know, uh, to me, it's like we've seen throughout the past how Alabama has broken teams. And I think Georgia broke TCU. <laughs> and, uh, look, they lost their quarterback. They, they lost so much. And it, it is a vastly different team than, uh, last year. And so I, I my, my feeling is that it's been an incredible overreaction to one game and how Deion Sanders is, you know, um, pulled a rabbit out of the hat and all that. But uh, we'll see. Well, we'll I see. think he's trying to continue and, uh, you know, grow the us against the world theme. And, um, yeah, I what know it's after uh, the game. It just that's definitely, it, in my opinion, what he's trying to do. Uh, that's like the. It's the oldest motivational trick in the book, but it works, right? It works when you, when you can convince your players that nobody thinks you can do something and then you go out and do it. Um, I get it, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of tired in my mind. All right, Lars, um, man, did somebody get the bus number, the license plate, uh, Florida State Seminoles because man in Orlando they just they in the second half particularly um, I thought at the end of the half that LSU was going to go ahead and start putting the chairs on the bus but it was the exact opposite the Knowles Mike Norvell man they look really good yeah, Mike Norvell has done a wonderful job with uh, the roster reconstruction and going out in the transfer portal and just getting guys from all over the country that fit exactly what he wants to do. And um, wow, I mean, that actually, I think Florida State probably was the most impressive team in the country uh, in uh, week one. And if I had a vote, in the uh, in, in the in the riders poll in the AP poll, I would put Florida State number one. I mean, there's there's no reason that they shouldn't be. They just they thoroughly thumped LSU in the second half. I mean, it just uh, it, it, it it reminded me of what like Alabama 
has done to teams, right? In in, in second halves of games, like their physicality, uh, they just uh, they just they they stuffed everything down their throat, and their quarterback is special. Oh my goodness, is he good? Uh, just makes right decisions, and and now we remember why Mike Norvell was uh, such a sought after coach uh, just two, you know two years ago, three years ago, and. Um, I think just based on that performance, and this is going to sound like an overreaction, just like as I was just criticizing overreactions, but based on their performance and based on Clemson's performance, I almost would pencil Florida State into the college football playoffs right now. This is a good team. Jordan Travis, he is special. Uh, and, you know, he just he just made play after play after play, and uh, I, I I just can't. To me, he was the single most impressive player in week one uh, of the of uh, college football. Would Would you agree with that, or was there some other player that really uh, stuck out the, to you? The, um, Jamur Sanders for uh, Colorado, yeah, and yep. then Travis Hunter got played. There were 165 snaps, and he played 148. Yeah. Man. And then he had a pick and, what, three touchdown catches? Yeah. And um, did you see the fans taunting him before the game? No. Oh, yeah. It was it was the guys, like, in, in, the, in the corner of the end zone, uh, a couple of uh, TCU students were just yelling and at the top of their lungs, like, you know, you're nothing, you're worthless. And it so happened that he made that incredible interception right in front of them. And <laughs> the camera goes, so there's a, there's a video that went viral of, uh, of these kids, uh, yelling at him and then their reaction when he intercepts the ball <laughs> and he just looks up at him. <laughs> it's, it's priceless. I, what a great, isn't it awesome that college football is back? Oh my yeah, gosh. What a great weekend. How hey, fun was that? Your NFL guys are coming up this weekend too. What are you going to do with yourself? I'm going to go to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings on the Highway 280 in Birmingham to watch the Bengals at 12 at Bengals Corner. Come and hang out with us. Hey, speaking of hanging out, we'll do it again this Friday leading up to the Texas game. But we'll be at NS Free this Friday noon until 2 with their lucky lunch special and a lot of our guests we're gonna have some maybe some surprise folks popping by but that's the place to be on friday afternoons as we continue big noon sports on a tuesday afternoon we'll be right back WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. It is Big Noon Sports on a Tuesday. Short a day because of Labor Day. I hope you all had a great Labor Day weekend and um, went to the lake, went to the beach, spent a lot of time with your family. 
Yeah, it was it was a good weekend for Lars and myself as well. Of course, we're talking about Alabama's big win over Middle Tennessee State University. Uh, one note from that game, I guess I read this correctly. You remember last year there was a lot of hullabaloo about uh, where Alabama's band was going to be at Texas because I think they stuck them in the heated upper deck. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Alabama's going to twist and turn and do that around <laughs> to the Longhorns, too. Did you read that? No, I didn't see that. But, uh, hey, um, turnabout's fair play, right? Um, I love the word blue, by the way. Uh, well, well done. There used to be a uh, television show when I was quite young on called Hullabaloo. And it was uh, one of those kind of rock. Uh, it was kind of the, uh, it was a little bit like American Bandstand. But, uh Anyway, speaking uh, of music, real quick, yeah. Matt, um, your thoughts on the passing of Jimmy Buffett? You're, you're, we are both such big music people. Um, that's one of the many things that uh, binds us together uh, as friends. And um, you know, I, I never saw Jimmy Buffett. Uh, I, I wasn't as into Jimmy Buffett as, as a lot of people, but um, but I, I certainly respected Jimmy Buffett and. And uh, very familiar with his songwriting and, and his impact and his influence on so many. I mean, it, it, it's he he represent he represented something so big, right? It was almost like a, a, a way of life. And he was such a beautiful composer and songwriter, lyricist, and um, it just uh, it, it just broke my heart uh, to to uh, hear hear that he passed away. A lot of parrot heads uh, are in mourning, and I think it was evident that uh, even in uh, I think it was the second half, the Alabama fans started singing Margaritaville, uh, which shows you the impact. He was unique, and I mean it in the very sense of the word. I don't know another artist that had his genre and excelled at it so, so much. Um, and I know everybody likes the Margaritaville and the Cheeseburger in Paradise, but go listen to Come Monday, his first big hit. It's just a piece of art. It is beautiful. But um, he also wrote books uh, of great success. He was incredibly smart as a businessman. Lars, he was worth almost a billion dollars when he passed away. Yeah, that's incredible. A billion. But if you will allow, I'll share you a really cool Buffett story. Um, gee, I have to remember exactly what year it was. It was the mid-90s or something. I was an extra for the movie Cobb, which was filmed at Rickwood Field. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie, it's a very dark but very accurate movie on a great baseball player about a horrible man. And one of the examples they showed, which was true, is that Cobb once got tired of being heckled by a one-armed man in the crowd. And Cobb jumped over the fence, ran up into the crowd, and beat the crap out of this one-armed man. Well, they had that in the movie. The one-armed man was played by... Jimmy Buffett. Um, And that was really pretty cool. Um, After our shooting that day, a big flatbed truck pulled up right along third base and and parked it. They pulled a canopy off of it. There were speakers and a stool and a guitar. 
Buffett jumped up there, and for the extras, for the cast, for the crew, for everybody that was a part of Cobb that day, he got up on stage and just played and played and played. They pulled kegs out and put him at home, played third base, and he didn't have to do that. He just did it because he was Jimmy Buffett. Um, I'll always say, I mean, what an intimate what an intimate setting to hear Jimmy Buffett. It was fantastic. So, yeah. Uh, I'm not a parrothead. I don't go by, I wouldn't go out and buy the albums and listen to it front and back. But uh, I like what I like and I really like his lifestyle. And that's what he sold, Lars. You know? Yeah. What's, yeah. What's Margaritaville all about? Shot yeah. tequila, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every time, I'm not a beach guy at all. Like, no, I grew up in Nebraska for goodness sakes. Like we don't, we're, we're very landlocked in Nebraska and, uh, I don't do beaches. Uh, I'm not a person who wants to bake in the sun. However, every time I would go down, uh, with my, 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 the, my kid's mother to the beach and we went all the time because uh, she has a place down at Panama City. Um, it's like, I want to listen to Jimmy Buffett, you know, and just chill out and have a, have a drink on the beach and have an umbrella in it, you know, a little umbrella and, 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 uh, and look out at the water. Um, but definitely like underneath, uh, some shade, but yes, uh, I, I, I love Jimmy Buffett. I love him. And, um, sad to hear that he passed away, but you know, it's, you know the true measure of uh, of a man or a woman i think is the impact that you have on others and uh by that standard you know jimmy buffett stands uh, shoulder to shoulder with very few and um just what a, a rich life you know a life well lived um a life of of meaning and and content and impact and um you know what 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 more can you ask you know like we're all gonna uh you know get to the end at some point and uh and you want to be remembered the way that people are remembering jimmy buffett today uh i agree well said yeah there is a beach in heaven that's uh having having a party uh and buffett's a He's going to be leading it. Um, but that's uh, it's a tough deal. And then I saw where Gary Wright, I don't know if you remember him from Dreamweaver fame from back in the 70s, um, Spooky Tooth. He passed away. I saw that this morning. So sometimes uh, it seems like they do come in threes. So, all right, I wanted to ask you about this because we're going to talk a lot about what Auburn did on Saturday. But just an overall thought or two, Lars, from your perspective – has the running of the clock after first downs, except with two minutes remaining in the first or second half, has that made a big difference? It has. I, I hate it. Every coach hates it. Um, it it's uh, it, it is changing the nature of the game because it limits the amount of possessions you get. And so you, as a coach, you have to change your tactics, your strategy, your approach, your game plan. And I don't think, I think it caught some, some coaches by surprise, frankly. I mean, you heard Chip Kelly, like I, the UCLA coach, he just went off 
uh, about it. I think it was at halftime. And, um, you know, uh, Shane Beamer, he was really upset. Uh, and, 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 you know, I was surprised actually that North Carolina handled South Carolina the way they did, you know, but Shane Beamer, uh, was upset. <laughs> he said he was talking about the chain gang crew. He was upset with the limited amount of possessions, but also with the chain gang crew and that they were eating hot dogs and it delayed the second half kickoff because they were planning to do an onside kick and the fact that they were eating hot dogs, like uh, it became a a big thing on uh, Twitter or X, whatever uh, Elon Musk calls it now. Um, But yeah, I I absolutely despise it, Matt. And uh, because again, the unintended consequence, I believe of this rule is that it is uh, fundamentally changed how coaches must approach each and every game. You agree, or do you like it? I don't know. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to give it a couple more weeks. But uh, and I want to see data. Um, yeah. Is it actually costing each team a possession per game? Um, you're right. If it's something, if it's something that large, then um, that does affect your football team um but i had not read the thing about the hot dogs and the chain game <laughs> yeah it was, it was it was Can quite you imagine if that had happened in the alabama clemson game when nick saban was getting ready of course that wasn't to start the half but uh, man uh, yeah somebody would have a hot dog in uh, someplace else all right i mean it's that. shane and it, it takes a lot like you know that i'm, I'm close with shane and it takes a lot to get him fired up. And man, he was PO'd after the game. And I know he's disappointed because they got beat by North Carolina. And overall, it was not a great weekend for the SEC. Um, and uh, boy, the, you know, people in the ACC are, are puffing their chests out. But, um, you know, we'll see. It's a long season. Week one. It is. Hey. Auburn's got to go all the way to California this weekend. Stan White will talk about the performance versus the Minutemen and more when we get back on Big News Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. 
From our home base in Birmingham, Alabama, we are here treating patients from every generation across the United States and from around the world. We're here for the rookies and the dreamers trying to make a name for themselves. We are here for the achievers who are resilient and won't take no for an answer. We're here for the coaches, athletic trainers, and mentors who are shaping the next generation of legends. We are here for you, aggressively pursuing victory over injury. Learn more at andrewsportsmedicine.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny this afternoon, the high today 91. Fair tonight with the low at 71. Tomorrow and Thursday, partially sunny both days. The chance of widely scattered, mostly afternoon and evening showers and thunderstorms. Highs between 88 and 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 90 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Go inside the Alabama Crimson Tide with the Gary Harris Show. Coming up on the Wednesday edition of the Gary Harris Show on Tide 100.9 FM, we'll talk plenty of SEC and college football. You know that's happening with Texas coming to Alabama this weekend. But also, we'll have uh, the NASCAR report with Matt Coulter, your phone calls as well. All that and more on the Gary Harris Show. Catch the Gary Harris Show Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. 365, 24-7. You'll find road and utility crews, tow truck, law enforcement, and first responders working along Alabama's roadway. We're making improvements and helping our communities stay connected. We're working hard to make sure you're safe on the road. Now we need your help to make sure we're safe, too. Alabama's move over law requires you to move over a lane when you see flashing lights on the roadside. And if you can't safely move over, Please slow down. Visit drivesafealabama.org. Brought to you by the Alabama Department of Transportation, Alabama Broadcasters Association, and this station. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Just shy of a week into September, so we'll be doing this for the next five months. Lars, we'll uh, try to get Stan White in here in just a minute, but um, just really troubling news out of Athens, Georgia again. Um, a staffer um, is Jarvis Jones, who is an outstanding linebacker and played in the NFL for uh, four or five years, arrested for reckless driving. Um, and, and this is really the the numbers here just make make me cringe. Uh, he was uh, clocked at eighty six miles per hour in a forty mile per hour zone. Um, Kirby Smart said, uh, "We will deal with this internally." That's all I can say about this right now. But he's got to be just wringing his hands. I mean, good grief! Uh, 86 and a 40? I mean, how brash can you possibly be? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, especially in light of the fact that at least a dozen Georgia players have been charged with uh, moving violations or speeding since the team won the national championship in January. And, um, you know, uh, we know about the tragedy, uh, in which, um, uh, Devin Willock, uh, offensive lineman and a staff member, Chandler LaCroix, 
were killed in a car wreck in which the police alleged that uh, uh, that Jalen Carter, who a uh, defensive lineman who went really high in the NFL draft uh, to the Eagles, uh, was racing them. I mean, it, it, it's just uh, it, it's mind boggling. And, and Kirby Smart, I, I've thought about this quite a bit. I, there, it's gotten to the point that it's a zero tolerance MF and policy. You speed, you're gone. Simple as that. I mean, because clearly you have a staff member who is breaking the law in an extravagant fashion that hasn't learned from everything that has happened, including the deaths of two people. There has to be zero tolerance. Kirby, come on. You have enough talent on this team that you can afford to lose some player who is a knucklehead or a coach, a staff member like Jarvis Jones and uh, in – in, in doing this 24 hours, <laughs> less than 24 hours before the season opener. What the heck is going on, Matt? I don't, I, I don't get I don't, it. I, I just, I don't gotta, get it. You have to employ zero tolerance like you just said and said, if you do this, you're, you're the gone. Line. Yeah. Yes. Or you're not playing ever again. I mean, it, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that in, uh, in a, in, in a vacuum, right? If all things being equal, if if there were no previous incidents, no, you shouldn't get kicked off the team for speeding. And, and maybe it's uh, uh, like a, a, a you know going. I mean, he was going forty six miles per hour over the speed limit. <laughs> and I'm not uh, trying uh, to make light of this incident, but I did note that he was in 84 Buick Regal. Yeah, I know. I was like, yeah, <laughs> what's, what's going on with that? Oh, he rebuilt <laughs> it, you know, and it had to be. Oh, oh yeah. So he's got a, he's yeah. got like the yeah. thunderous uh, engine. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that's really popular. Is that is that street yeah. racing going on? Maybe. Not, Who knows? Sounds like it. Uh, but anyway, well, why um, else would you be going eighty six and a forty? Sorry, 40 yep, and a forty. I mean, that's kind of be like downtown. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, people, even at night, you, that's it's just so dangerous. All right, let's talk about something much less dangerous and actually very, very popular. Stan White, one of the most popular quarterbacks to ever play, one of the most popular players to ever play at Auburn. Uh, he joins us and had been the color analyst for 22 years. I think I, I've got that right. But Stan, did you were you able to go tailgate with your family this weekend? Uh, I, I did a little bit, yes. Uh, not a whole lot. I was actually had to do a segment on the radio with the guys around one, and then they did it like a pregame recognition before the game um down there so it was a little bit of a subdued uh tailgating experience but but i nonetheless had a great time and and uh you know i was listening you know not to change completely the subject off of this but uh i was listening to your previous segment and you know those 84 regals are pretty hot cars back in our day matt you are so <laughs> you are so right you know what they I are mean, that, that may be a good promotion he was going 86 and 84 regal man that's pretty impressive you know uh if you remember the the movie roadhouse Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's what uh, what's Swayze. his name Dalton bought 
when he got there and he drove around. I believe it was an 84. Oh, yeah. It was a Regal, but anyway. Okay. <laughs> one, one of the greatest low-budget films ever, right? <laughs> oh, it, yeah. It, it, stood the test, it, it stood the test of time, for sure. Stan, if you could have any car, American-made car right now, what would you choose? Oh, man, that's a that's a tough one right there. American-made car. Well, you know, I, 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 I drive a Ford. I drive a Raptor right now. Uh, and of course, that's that does stuff, bad, you know, bad for many years. Right there. With, that's uh, what Tom, I, I Tom love, Brady I, drives. I, I, love, I love my Raptor now. Uh, but, you know, there's a, man, there's a lot of great cars. You know, my first ever car, and I'm going to go against Ford, is a, it was a, was a Camaro Z28. Oh, uh, My wow. first ever. And it was actually a 1984 model Camaro Z28. I, I don't know if I would have it. Now, I'm not saying I would have that right now. But, it's but a that great was my car. First ever, uh, ever car. Yeah, and I, it only ran hot four times on the way to the beach. So, you know, you had to, you had to time it out. You had to stop, you know, around the Georgiana exit and then you stop around Andalusia, <laughs> you know. And so, you, you know, you had it timed out. If we can make it here, we can, we can cool it down a little bit. But yeah, those were the days. Uh, but no, I, I like my Raptor. I, I enjoy it. My, my wife loves it when I come in the neighborhood and it's on that Baja, you know, exhaust. And so it's, uh, you know, you can, you can hear it from six miles away. <laughs> Stan, what was it like for you watching the game and not be in front of a microphone? Was it, uh, an odd experience? Kind of surreal? What, uh, what were your, just, what you know, were you feeling? I, I was, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, not, not that I, you know, I went and visited the guys in the booth at halftime and, and, you know, caught up with them for a good bit. And, you know, and I was in, you know, I was, it, it just was, it was different. I wasn't as into the game clearly, you know, as if you were broadcasting a game. Um, I love watching it. I love being a fan. I love enjoying it, but I, I just enjoyed, you know, uh, socializing with the people around me and, and, uh, and of course my family and, and my kids were there, and then we were just kind of taking that all in. This is the first time that that we, have, as a family, has ever been to a game in twenty. Well, my my, my oldest is fifteen years old, so ever. Uh, so it was it was a it was a it was an awesome weekend. I was very humbled by the recognition, and and um, it was it was not your ordinary opening day crowd because obviously a few freeze and new staff, new regime, and uh, it was just a great day down at Auburn and. And um, I enjoyed. I enjoyed immensely. I'm, I'm, this will be the first game. I'm not going to California, so uh, this will be the first game that I have missed. I somebody told me I have to go add it up, but I think it was over 282 or 281 Saturdays in a row. Um, oh wow! Over 22 years. 22 years. So I will not yeah. be in Berkeley this weekend. I will be watching it from the homestead. Do you have spectrum? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard about that. You know, I, I, I've got like I don't know, man. We, I, I, I'm not a real technological guy. We got apps now. We got direct apps and Spectrum apps and whatever apps you can get. I don't even know. So, so I guess you're, you're not going to Stan. You're not going to break uh, Buddy Davidson's record of uh, consecutive <laughs> football games. I did a story on Buddy. Uh, you know, like I don't know, ten, fifteen years ago, and. Uh, just absolutely loved him and, and his love for all oh, yeah. football. But yeah, so I, what is your plan on, on Saturday? But, what, uh, did, didn't Buddy go like six or 800? I think it was, yes, I think it was maybe. I mean, I, I would have to live oh, yeah. to be 104, I think, to get to this record. So uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm giving up before I start. Uh, you know, I, I don't, quite honestly, I don't know. I'm, I'm still immersed with, with I, you know, I help coach and you guys 
they know this. I have a coach over at John Carroll High School uh, in Birmingham. We're actually we're two and zero. Beat had a great win against Homewood two weeks ago. Beat uh, Marbury last week, and we start region play this Thursday actually against Fairfield. And I coach the middle school as well, so I'm, I'm immersed with that. I don't even know what I'm doing the next day, but hopefully we're celebrating a couple of wins. Hey, Stan, we need to talk quarterbacks at Auburn and Auburn's overall performance against UMass. Can you hang on through a break? You know this drill. Sure, sure. All right. Stan White, former Auburn quarterback and broadcaster, is with us on Big Noon Sports, and we will continue our conversation right after this brief message. Built to win. Built for championships. Throws intercepted Alabama. Built by Bama. Alabama is still Alabama. Join us Saturday as the Crimson Tide welcome the Texas Longhorns to Tuscaloosa. Our coverage begins at 3 on your home for Alabama football. Tide 100.9. Presented by Birmingham Racecourse and Casino. I-459, exit 31. You can be a winner, too. Hey, Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. And our guest is Stan White, Auburn University quarterback and former broadcaster as well. Stan, I don't know if I could have drawn it up better than how quarterbacks played in their opener. You? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty impressive, really, both Alabama and Auburn. You know, I mean, now, uh, clearly they weren't playing. You know, the, the, the their, their competition will get harder, obviously. And this weekend it will. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that Alabama-Texas game. But, yes, uh, I thought Peyton did well. Of course, Robbie Ashford had a really good package as well. We knew that he was going to be utilized. And, you know, Hugh Freeze has a history of being able to do that and, and do it successful, which is a little different. Um, you know, usually you go with one guy in that position. And, and of course, Robbie – had what three rushing touchdowns, I believe. Um, yep. And of course, you look you look across the island, and Milrow had first time ever, I think, uh, with what five to- total touchdowns. Is that right? Two passing, three That's rushing, true. or something like yep. that. I saw, but well, they, and they've had a, they've had a few pretty good quarterbacks in recent history. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was a really good. You know, weekend a good start for them. Of course, it'll it'll ratchet up more this weekend, and uh, but it was good good for them and, and Auburn. Auburn, what I was impressed with is, is they're, they got, they got a handful of running backs that's pretty good. And they didn't see arguably the best one at all, uh, in, in Jarquez. So that's, uh, that's a good plus. Stan, being a, uh, extremely successful quarterback yourself, can a two quarterback system work? You know, clearly Robbie Ashford needs to play. I mean, that's obvious. Um, and Peyton Thorne, he should be the starter, but can it, can it work? Well, I think if they both bring different things to the table, which clearly they do, you know, Ashford is a really dynamic athlete. I mean, he's fast. You know, I mean, he, he's elusive. Um, and I think the knock on him it has been the ability to maybe read a defense and maybe the consistently, consistently being accurate. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I, I thought his best game was against Alabama last year. He had some nice, nice throws, but, um, but Thorne obviously has a has a lot of experience in a big time a big time uh, conference as well. So yes, they can if they both have different type of dynamics they bring to the game, and and clearly both of them have different strengths that they can use. And, and also, it just makes 
makes headaches for defensive coordinators if you can do that and it can and if it works. Uh, in this case, I believe it can um, because of their you know both both different strengths and, and perceived weaknesses. Stan, uh, there have been a lot of criticism over the past few years about Auburn's offensive line. Would, would you grade them? And, and again, as you just said a minute ago, it's a little different against UMass than it even would have been against Cal and then once you get into the SEC. Well, what's your grade sure. for the O-line? You know, I, I, I didn't. I, I didn't watch every play. I would, you know, I would, I would give it a solid B or A. I, it just really the competition is going to ratchet up, so it's hard to say. You know, they've got so many new players. I mean, you know, it's hard to recognize a lot of the names because they're new, and, and not that that's that's just that's the nature of college football. It's not just Auburn. I mean, it's it's everywhere. I mean, look at like, look at Colorado. I mean, it's so you know, you, but but what you got is is, is you got. The, the challenge, I mean, you, you hear Nick Saban and Hugh Freeze and every coach talk about this. The challenge is, is just keeping your roster and being able to, there's not a being able, being able to get that chemistry in such a short period of time because everyone is new. Um, and that happens everywhere. I mean, you got to continually, continuously recruit your own players from leaving and chemistry has to happen overnight, not over a two or three year period anymore. So, when you're able to kind of catch that lightning in a bottle, so to speak, and you've got something pretty well, because believe me, I, I, you know, I coach more at the high school level and so forth. That line position is the most important in all of football. And because there's no other position that requires five people doing their job. If one person, you know, four guys can do it phenomenally, but if one misses an assignment, then it blows the play up. And you can have a receiver run the wrong route and still have a successful play. But if a, if a lineman messes up one assignment out of the five, then there's a good chance that the, that play's not going to be successful. So that's the key is, is getting all those guys on the same page, the same blocking scheme and everything. Stan, uh, let's just get you to give us an overall grade on the other side of the ball, too, defensively. I thought, I thought Auburn looked pretty good over there, too. They did, you know, they got a pick six. They scored on other, they scored on defense, which is always big. You know, I think their secondary is going to be their strength. And it was coming into the season. I think the most experience they've had was Simpson and James and, and, and of course, Kaufman had a good game as well. So yeah, they've, uh, I think they look good. Uh, now, like I said, it, it'll ratchet up for, uh, this weekend and it'll continue to when it gets into SEC play. But, uh, but I thought it was a good start for them. Uh, you know, it's uh, these days a lot, a lot of teams run similar things. I mean, you know, they run that spread style, the RPO style, spread them out. You know, uh, basically throwing the ball in space. Um, and so I thought they did a good job. I thought they did a good job. And it's going to take, you know, communication is a factor on defense. I mean, you just got to communicate, and and you got to know where, you know, what your assignment is, and don't overplay your assignment. Did you Stand. find yourself while you were watching the game every once in a while? Make sure. Oh, I got to look up. I got to see the next play. Was was it difficult <laughs> to just totally absolve yourself from calling every play? You know, I, I the, the in a way it was uh, because I, I tend to watch football maybe a little different than than most fans because of you know I, I played it and I was you know as soon as I got through playing the game I went to the broadcasting. In fact, that was the first time I'd been in Auburn Stadium as a fan in the stands since 1994. And that was when I had it. And I was playing with the Giants. I had an off weekend and I came back for an Auburn game. So it's been a long time since I've actually just stood and watched the game, you know, in, in the stands. 
Um, so it's a little different. I, and I, I'm a film junkie. I love watching film. I love it. I mean, I'll watch it. I'll watch it eight hours if you'll sit around with me and watch it. And you probably get tired of me watching film with me because I will just, I'll go play by play. I'll spend 10 minutes on one play looking at every position, looking at everything. And I just enjoy doing it. So, um, that's the kind of the way I like watching football games. I overanalyze. And then if I see a play I like, you know, I'll clearly write it down. I'll say, well, I like that play. I'm going to put it in, you know, install that into our high school or our, our middle school scheme or whatever, you know. Stan, for months, Matt and I have been comparing Auburn and Colorado uh, because of the infusion of players via the transfer portal into each program. Um, I, I know you obviously were at Auburn and didn't get a chance to uh, watch Colorado live, but uh, your thoughts, in I'm sure you've read and maybe had a chance to watch a replay, uh, your thoughts on what Deion Sanders is doing at Colorado, and, and you you think it's fair to kind of compare Colorado and in Auburn the way that Matt and I have uh, presumptively been doing? Well, I, I I did not get a chance. I was very impressed with it, them them winning that game. I mean, I I understand. I didn't see any of it, but I understand it was a fantastic game, a very entertaining game. I think his son threw for about five hundred yards, or maybe accounted for that. Um, so. You know, clearly he's done a great job in a short period of time, and and I don't know what their roster turnover was. I'm, I'm assuming it's sixty or seventy kids. I don't I don't know. Um, but I, I got the chance many years ago when Dion was playing with the Cowboys, and I was with the Giants. We did um, it was a charity thing, uh, kind of a basketball charity game, and and I got the chance to talk to him, and he's a fantastic person. He really is. I mean, he he, you know, I was just a backup quarterback from. You know Auburn, and and this was prime time, and he made the point to include me on everything, and and you know of course back then you know Auburn and FSU played yearly, and so we had some uh, some kinship there, but uh, fantastic guy, done a great job. Is he you know is he uh, uh, flamboyant? I guess yeah, sure. He's but he you know what he does he promotes his program, um, and and he's done a great job. I don't know comparison wise. I mean you they're about to I guess they're about to join the Big Twelve, right? Um, and I mean, TCU defending, uh, defending runner up, I guess. I don't know what TCU had coming back, so I have no idea. Uh, I know they lost their quarterback, but, uh, but he did a great job nonetheless. It was a phenomenal win for him, and now they got to sustain it. I mean, it's, you know, win that first one, enjoy it. Now you got to go up there and play again. Stan, uh, were there any other games, particularly around the SEC, maybe North Carolina beating South Carolina or, how about LSU beating Florida State? Throw some light on that one for a second. Woo. I watched that one. You mean FSU beating Florida State? Yeah, FSU beating yeah. I mean, I mean, beat LSU. Man, I tell you what, uh, I, I was a little surprised by that. Uh, that was just a, I mean, FSU just manhandled LSU in that second half. I mean, it was just uh, it was all it was to it. I, I thought LSU would win that game. But uh, FSU made a believer out of me. I mean, they're, they're good. I mean, they're really good. And then, of course, I watched um, – I watched part of the South Carolina, North Carolina game late. North Carolina just blew it away later on, and, and it was a good game for a while. And I'll tell you the most recent one, it didn't involve an SEC school, but I watched I watched Duke just manhandle Clemson last night. Mm. I mean, that was an impressive win by Elko. I mean, that you know, they that old quarterback for them just, just had a had a day. Uh and and, and of course Dabo and Grease told you they struggled a little bit. I mean, that was a that was just a I mean, man, that was bad. Uh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad on Duke's part. It was bad on 
business part, obviously. But uh, but yeah, I guess the biggest um, takeaway, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, was it Colorado's win? Was it uh, was it? I mean, LSU, you wouldn't really consider that an upset because there were two top ten teams. And then, of course, Duke and, and North, uh, I mean, sorry, Duke and Clemson. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, what you're seeing to me is, is you're seeing some maybe non-traditional powers that are really, really starting to, to close that gap, if that makes sense. Um, you know, on, on some, on some teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a fascinating first weekend of college football. But getting back to Auburn, based on what you saw on Saturday, have your expectations for this team changed at all? Uh, you know, I, I, I was imp- what I was impressed more with with Auburn, with Auburn was is they didn't go out there, and you know what they they didn't. Do what what I I didn't see this game. They didn't do what Florida did. You know, wearing the same number, did a lot of silly penalties, first season, first game penalties that we just kind of beat yourself. Uh, and they didn't they didn't have that happen. They didn't have a lot of misalignments. They didn't have a lot of jumping offsides. So there, it was a clean game in that respect. Um, and that's what I was impressed more than anything is is they played fast. They played. Uh, they didn't seem to be out of place a lot of times. Um, and they didn't have a lot of your first game, first, you know, coaching staff, um, type of penalties where you just uh, go, it wasn't sloppy. So it was very clean. And that's what I was impressed more than anything. Stan, I'm sure you've taken a lot of cross continental trips, particularly in the NFL, but, um, Auburn going to California is travel a thing. Uh, you know, you just got to weigh the time zones. The furthest trip I made, I believe, was Austin, Texas. We played there at Texas my sophomore year. Um, from what I remember, I think that's the furthest west we went. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you just got to, you, you got to, they may, I, I'm assuming they're going out on Friday. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where you just got to, you got to get ready, used to the time zone and it's a night game. It's a late night game. Luckily, it's a night, more of a later game as opposed to a very early in the morning. That can kind of hurt you more than anything because you just got to get used to the time zone. But I think they'll be fine. You know, the nutritionist now and, and they, they have that down to an art. No kidding. Um, hey, great stuff as always, Dan. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Just hanging around with a remote in your hand. That'll be different for a seven or eight three, four decades. I don't know how long it's been. Enjoy. I enjoy it, guys. My my pleasure, guys. Take care anytime. You bet. You're right. Thanks, Dan. Dan White, when we get back, we are going to wrap up yet this edition of Big Noon Sports. Hang on for Go inside the Alabama Crimson Tide with the Gary Harris Show. Coming up on the Wednesday edition of the Gary Harris Show on Tide 100.9 FM, we'll talk plenty of SEC and college football. You know that's happening with Texas coming to Alabama this weekend. But also, we'll have uh, the NASCAR report with Matt Coulter, your phone calls as well. All that and more on the Gary Harris Show. Catch the Gary Harris Show Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Don't- 
Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny this afternoon, the high today 91. Fair tonight with the low at 71. Tomorrow and Thursday, partially sunny both days. The chance of widely scattered, mostly afternoon and evening showers and thunderstorms. Highs between 88 and 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 92 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More big noon sports coming up. top of the hour appreciate you folks dialing us in today you can always call us and listen online as well our phone number is 205-342-9904 bignoonsports.com at big noon sports hey justin you and i were uh, able to talk a little bit uh, about the alabama game uh, this past saturday night and into sunday morning as uh, we did the post-game show right there on a flagship station, tied 100.9. Uh, let's go over that again. Uh, Justin Jones' perspective on Alabama's big win. Yeah, I, I really, I think I have to be just very nitpicky. There was two things that I saw that really concerned me. Um, one being, I think Jalen Milrow played excellent. I think the only issue was I thought he held onto the ball too long when he was standing in the pocket. I think he needs to make his, his reads and his adjustments a little bit faster. I saw that he he, he liked to stare down the receiver. Um, you'd see him make one or two reads, and then once he was set, he was set. And he would stare down his one receiver until he let go of the ball. And then similarly on offense, the running backs we had been talking about all offseason that were supposed to be the studs, have no issues, no worries about – they seemed a little slow to start, and I think that has to go to the offensive line in that their run blocking was, um, I don't think, up to the standard that we were expecting. The pass blocking looked great. Just the run and the push off the line on those run plays and, and creating gaps for our running backs seemed to be to be missing. What was your biggest surprise that uh, that you saw on, on Saturday? I think the the defense. I was very surprised by a lot of the younger players, um, Caleb Downs, the transfer, Jalen Key. I was surprised to see Tresman Marshall starting at middle linebacker. I know we were dealing with some some bumps and bruises there, some injuries at the position, um, but I thought he played great. And I thought all along I was kind of a, a fan of his. I thought just the um, the field of work that he put together at Georgia was going to play well, very well into this Alabama defense. But the young guys, for sure. I also was surprised. We had been talking about wide receiver drops. I can't remember when. I think it was in the second or third quarter. There was like a, a corner route that was maybe it was to Isaiah Bond, and it was bobbled a little bit and then finally brought in. I was like, oh, we're, we're seeing improvement. There's not a, That wasn't a drop ball. And so I was, I was happy to see that. But really, yeah, just uh, surprised by the young, young players and the way that they were able to go out there and kind of – seemed like they picked up pretty quick. Like, they didn't really need to settle into the game. Did you get any word on what happened with Brooks? Is that, uh, I don't know, we talked about it Saturday night, Sunday morning. But I also wanted to ask you guys, why didn't Jarquez Hunter play? Jarquez. I've not heard anything on Brooks. I did hear uh, Malachi Moore and the like. Um, the DBs were going to be okay. I think Saban said day to day, so we'll probably see them play this Saturday. Um, I don't know about Jarquez Hunter though. Maybe they're still kind of dealing out that punishment from off season stuff. 
And Justin, your thoughts on um, the the running back group as a whole? Yeah, I think the running back. That's that's kind of what I was saying. I think the we had kind of set them aside because we were so confident in them. I do. I think it's just related to the O line and the pass blocking. They all seem like downhill runners, and they're very fast. And with the play from Milrow that we saw, though, we might not even need. <laughs> Of course, we need running backs, but we might not even need running backs. We'll just throw in our three wide, our three quarterbacks. I'll have a rushing touchdown, and we'll just run uh, some some crazy sets out of the backfield. You guys uh, checked out the Associated Press poll just released a little while ago. Um, no change in the top four. Florida State jumps up three. They're now fifth. Uh, by the way, the top four: Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, and Ohio State. Man, Ohio State had a little trouble, didn't they? 23-3 over Indiana. Shame on Indiana and you Big Ten people for not filling up your stadium. Ohio oh. State did not look good, Matt. I I, I saw that game, and uh, they have big-time issues on the offensive line and uh, and, and, a, and a quarterback, and uh, they really struggled uh, against uh, an Indiana team that is, is pretty stout. But uh, nonetheless, I was surprised that the Buckeyes um, – didn't win that more handily. I'm gonna throw a lot of that on the Hoosiers. I, I think they they just they had a great game plan and played very well. And um, that to me looked like at least a bowl eligible team. Against one weekend, Matt, be quiet. All right, Penn State is seven. USC is six. They stay. Penn State stays at number seven. Washington, the Huskies go up three. They're eighth. Tennessee goes up one. They're ninth. Joe Milton, Lars, what do you think? Look good, look good. He's an NFL quarterback. Yeah, he looked he looked fantastic. Don't think they're going to fit forget Hooker anytime soon. But man, he just he certainly showed a lot of razzle dazzle. Uh, Texas goes up two. They are now tenth. And then you got Notre Dame, Utah, Oregon, LSU drops nine to number fourteen. Then you got K State, UNC up four at sixteen. Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, I know it's an opener. It's a cupcake. But, man, they rolled up some – did they score 80? No, it was Oregon that scored 81. But uh, Oklahoma wasn't too far behind. Um, Oregon State remained the same, 18. Wisconsin is 19th. They're up two. Ole Miss up two to 20th. And Clemson drops 12 to 21st. And then rounding it out is Tulane, Texas A&M, Duke, and Colorado are now in the top 25. I don't think anybody's surprised by that. They both beat ranked teams. Lars, I, I have a favor to ask of you. I need your Cornhuskers to go in there and humble uh, Coach Prime because <laughs> I, I think they're taking it a little too far, and I, I think the, the Cornhuskers have a chance to beat them. <laughs> Dude. They don't have a chance. They will beat them. I mean, I'm I'm just telling you, like it's it's a perfect setup for Nebraska. Um, You have to understand in the Midwest, uh, Nebraska, Colorado is the equivalent of Alabama, Auburn. It is two schools that absolutely despise one another, and um, Colorado has always. I don't know. They, they, they've sort of 
they have the, uh, the the little brother syndrome that Auburn does to Alabama, and uh, and and so uh, it, I, I think Big Brother is going to come in and um, and tell them you know who's in charge, uh, because the, the overreaction to Colorado Matt has just been off the charts, and I. You know, there, there's just not a, enough body of work. There's not a, a great enough body of work to, um, to, you know, suddenly anoint Colorado as a national power. Yes, they have talent. Yes, they have a dynamic quarterback. Yes, they have, uh, a, maybe a Heisman Trophy candidate worthy defensive back slash, uh, wide receiver. But, uh, it's gonna come down to, Line play, smash mouth, and um, Nebraska's quarterback Jeff Sims, transfer from Georgia Tech, clearly has issues throwing the ball, but the guy can run, and Nebraska is going to run the option, going to run fullback trap. I mean, going to run the eye back. It, it's going to be old school. It's it's it, old school versus new school, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yes, uh, I think uh, I think the Huskers will will take care of business. You think Boulder's going to be all jacked up on Mountain Dew? Yeah, man. I, the governor, the governor came out. So the last few times that Nebraska's played in Boulder, the entire stadium has been red, yeah. and the govern the governor of Colorado came out pleading with Colorado fans not to sell their tickets to Nebraska fans and he even said if you do we know who you are and we'll track you down <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's always kind of bothered me and left left it just so much I mean come on unless you're going to get an 84 Riviera out of it <laughs> all right all right, Lars, uh, let's wrap this one up, put a bow on it, and vow to do it again in 22 hours tomorrow. Andy Bertram, the voice of the Auburn Tigers, will be our guest. Uh, Lars, have a great day. You too, Justin. If you're a homeowner or